Well, this morning, uh, it's my privilege to introduce uh, to you um, uh, Jonathan Reed. He's the director of Fostering Hope. And Fostering Hope is an organization that we have partnered with for a, a couple of years now. And um, what is amazing is to see the traction that they are getting uh, throughout southern New England. Um, they've really gotten some really good traction in Massachusetts, uh, even though they're based out of here, out of Rhode Island. And, um, and they're in Connecticut as well. And we are so grateful for how they are bringing hope to uh, kids who are in the foster care system. And let me just say this. We are looking for someone uh, on our local outreach team to be able to be our partner with them, that they would be like our liaison. So if you have a heart, if you lean, and if God could call you, if you feel like God could call you to help work with the foster care community and help our church to be better involved, better engaged in this way, we would love for you to see me because I will help you get connected uh, to our local outreach team so that we can have a better connection there. But Jonathan, he's going to come, and he's going to bring uh, God's Word and the teaching for us in, uh, from Daniel uh, chapter 10. So, Jonathan? Yeah, these strong pastors. It's backwards. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you, and let me begin, uh, and the, the time is running, but Pastor Rick said I had a few extra minutes to share about fostering hope, so I'm going to you know, hold you to that. Um, I did want to just uh, take a moment to thank you for your uh, partnership with Fostering Hope for several years now, um, and I'm not here to primarily talk about Fostering Hope, but just suffice it to say that your, your investment in our ministry over the years has made a difference in the lives of many children and families affected by foster care. Churches are being empowered to serve and engage in meaningful ways. Families are being raised up to care for them. Biological families are being supported. Meaningful bridges are being built to the child welfare community in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. And it's in part because of partners like you um, who are willing to invest financially in us with us. So thank you so much. And um, You know, one of the things that we're seeking to do is not just raise up foster and adoptive families, but also wrap around biological families so as often as possible children are able to stay with their uh, families of origin. Um, And one story recently that I think captures this effort, uh, there was a woman, we'll we'll call her Martha, and she had been in a long-term partnership with someone but experiencing significant domestic violence. Uh, and because of that, two of her children ended up in the foster care system. She just couldn't extricate herself from that. But then she was pregnant again, and this time she was determined it's going to be different this time. And she made the courageous decision to get out of that partnership, and she was in a uh, domestic violence shelter that was private, but she had no support. Well, one of the volunteers at that shelter was part of a church partner that we have and said, listen, we love foster care at our church. We, we want to, but we also love biological families. We want to support you. So they put together a team of about eight people to begin to relationally get to know her and wrap around her. She was able to become part of the church community. She had the baby, was able to keep the baby, but then she got pneumonia and ended up in the hospital for like three weeks. But because of this relationship and connection with the church, one of the foster families in the church was able to care for that baby while she was in the hospital rather than the baby going into foster care. She restored her health, came out, and is together, is getting back on her feet, 
And I got a picture, I think a week or two ago, where she was up in front of the church with other parents having her baby dedicated in front of the church family. All right, so this is that amazing. So these are the kind of things that God is doing as the church steps in, and uh, we're so excited. And again, that story is part because of the investment you're making through your prayers and finances. Uh, so thank you. All right, uh, now let's shift our focus to Daniel chapter uh, 10. And I'm so thankful uh, for Pastor Rick and the invitation for me to be with you uh, this morning. Fans of epic stories sometimes find themselves in disagreement over who the true hero of the particular story is. For example, one fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy might say, well, of course, Frodo Baggins is the hero, right? While another one might quickly pipe up, I don't think so. Clearly, Samwise Gamgee is the hero, and here are the reasons why. Okay, we've got some fans there. Or maybe to draw an example from a more contemporary pop culture uh, example, someone might have watched the uh, Marvel Avengers movies and gotten to the end of the Infinity War saga and said, you know, who would have thought that when all was said and done, Tony Stark and Iron Man would end up being the hero? And someone else says, no, 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 clearly it was Doctor Strange who set all that up. And the real Avenger nerd says, no, 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 it was the rat that set free Ant-Man who's the real hero. Now, some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? Okay, don't worry about it. You get the point, right? We can disagree about who the hero of a story is. And when it's an epic fictional story, it doesn't matter too much. It's just an interesting conversation. But when it's the story of our Christian life, it matters a lot. Who we view as the hero makes all the difference in the world. Now, at this point in your study in the book of Daniel, you're probably pretty impressed with him as a person. Rightfully so. I mean, he's arguably one of the most faithful followers of God in the history of the world. Every week as you've followed his story, you've got to be impressed with the spiritual receipts he brings to the table week after week. There's much to admire and imitate in the life of Daniel. But, lest we make the understandable but misguided mistake of thinking that Daniel is the hero of the book that bears his name, God gives to us the gift of Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 provides an example of God allowing really difficult circumstances into our lives. In this case, partly an answer to Daniel's own prayer, so be careful what you pray for, in order to teach us that we don't have the strength in ourselves to survive, never mind thrive in this upside down world in which we live. In other words, we can't be the hero of our Christian journey. Even the best of us, the Daniels in our midst, we have to learn and accept this humbling truth. But there's good news. God is not deterred in the least by our weakness. In fact, God delights to meet us right where we are in our weakest moment and right there give to us every bit of strength we need to know him And serve him. A strength that flows from his deep, deep love for us. So, the big idea of Daniel chapter 10 could be described in this way. In your weakness, find strength 
in God's loving grace. In your weakness, find strength in God's loving grace. We're going to pick up the story right in verse 2. And I'll put it up here on the screen. And by the way, I failed to mention hello to those who are watching online or down in South County. It's great to be speaking to you today. Chapter 10 begins with, in this way. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food. No meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So chapter 10 begins with Daniel, now in his mid-80s, in a self-described season of sorrow. He's mourning. And we know based on verse 12 that he was also confused or lacked understanding, specifically about the future of God's people. You see, two years earlier, Cyrus, the king of Persia, had allowed a group of Israelites to return to their beloved Jerusalem. They went back with hopes of rebuilding the temple and restoring Israel to their former glory. But things didn't turn out as they hoped. They experienced treacherous uh, opposition at the hands of the Samaritans. You can read about that in the book of Ezra. And the temple didn't get rebuilt. It got halted. Word would have gotten back to Daniel by this point. And when he received this news, it apparently filled him with confusion about what was happening with the people of God. He was sorrowful to hear that, that their progress had been stopped. Would Israel ever be truly free from her enemies? Would they ever be restored to their former glory? Was there any hope? Would anything change? You know, as you follow Jesus in this upside-down world, there will be times where you face many things that will cause you deep sadness, confusion, and even doubt and sense of hopelessness. In fact, some of you may have walked in this morning with those very things weighing on your heart. It's not a question of will we experience those emotions. It's a question of when we do, what will we do with them? Well, Daniel provides a great example, as he does throughout his book. this book. He knew his only hope was in the Lord. And so, as he experienced these emotions, he humbled himself before God and sought him through prayer and fasting. Verse 12, we're going to skip down to verse 12. And we're going to see how God received this, this expression of humility from Daniel. This is a really important verse. The angel now is speaking to Daniel and he says to him, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Think about this. This is incredible. Here's Daniel, an elderly man, probably relatively fragile, basically alone with a few traveling companions on this isolated riverbank in a Persian desert down on planet Earth. But when the words of his prayer leave his heart and his mouth, as soon as they do, the all-powerful creator and sustainer of all things, dwelling in the high and holy throne room of heaven that's filled with angelic beings who are 24-7 worshiping and praising him, that God immediately hears the humble words of this older man 
on the side of the river in Persia. His, his heart is captured by these words. It catches his attention. He receives that, the, this prayer and fasting as an act of humility, and he immediately decides to answer that prayer. See, God's not interested so much in the grand and impressive. He's drawn to the small and the broken, particularly to those who are lowly and contrite in their spirit. Psalm 34:18 says, "The Lord is near to the brokenhearted." James 4:8 says, "God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud." So when your moment of anguish leads you to pray because you don't know where else to turn, don't shrink back. Know that there in that moment of weakness that God most draws near to you. One way that God will strengthen you in your time of weakness by his loving grace is by inviting you to bring your needs to him with the promise that he will hear and answer your prayer. He doesn't always answer in the timetable or the way that we would expect or hope. In this case of Daniel, we're not going to look, look at this in detail, but there was a three-week delay because of some epic battle of spiritual warfare taking place behind the scenes of human history that delayed the angel from appearing. The timing and content of his answer will be delayed and depend on so many things and factors that can be unseen to us, including the bigger things that God may be doing in our life or in the world around us that we have no capacity in our limited knowledge to know or understand. This is part of the walk of faith that God calls us to. Not a blind faith, a faith rooted in the promise from God that when we utter prayers to Him, He does in fact hear us full stop. We know He heard us. And a faith rooted in the confidence that the all-wise, loving, and powerful God will, in fact, answer our prayer in the exact time and way that fulfills his good purposes. Oftentimes much bigger than we can imagine or will ever know. So that was about to happen in a powerful way for Daniel. So not only does God renew our strength through his love and grace by hearing and answering our prayer, but he does so by meeting us where we are to renew us in our time of weakness. Let's read through this next section back in Daniel chapter 10, verse, beginning in verse 4. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide, so I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. Daniel looks up having gone through three weeks of prayer and fasting, and now he's by the river, and he looks up and suddenly sees this angelic being that is absolutely shining in heavenly 
glory. Some believe that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, and it may very well be. Others believe it's just a powerful angelic being that God sent from his very throne room that, that uh, would reflect the glory of God. Either way, Daniel is clearly in awe of this being. Now, his friends don't see the angel, but his presence is so powerful that they sense him and they're filled with terror and they run away and hide. Great friends, right? I hope when, you know what you do after something like that, you talk about it. Oh, can you believe that? This is what happened. I hope that Daniel gave him a hard time, right? Thanks a lot, guys. I hope you had a good view from the rock you were hiding behind when you were, you know, with me during that season. Daniel is beginning to lose his strength. Notice the end of verse 8. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. This is the first of four times in this passage where Daniel is going to talk about how weak he was and how powerless he was. This man of God who for 70 years had faithfully followed the Lord now in his mid-80s and saying, I'm confronted with something that has completely drained me of all strength and showed me how weak that I am in myself. And when the angel begins to verbally communicate to Daniel... Both the sound of his voice and the content of the vision he's sharing, combined with the glorious vision of what this angel looked like, was too much for him. Have you ever received news that was so shocking and saddening that your strength was drained? Recently I had to tell my wife the terrible news that her brother suddenly passed away. And that's what it was like in that moment. As kind of strength was drained from her and she fell into my arms and I had to kind of hold her as she processed the blow. Well, that's what happened to Daniel only in an extreme way. I mean, look at what the text says. I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Full face plant. Nothing left. But here... In Daniel's weakest moment is where we see one of the most beautiful portrayals of God's loving, renewing grace in Scripture. Try to picture this. This angelic being just arrived from an epic three-week battle with dark spiritual forces. And he says later that when he's done here, he's going to return to that battle. But in this moment, alone on the bank of the river Tigris in relative anonymity, here is this warrior angel in all his glory crouching low on the ground by the side of an elderly man who's fainted and laying face down. And this angel offers one of the most comforting expressions of human compassion. Just then, a hand touched me. This warrior angel must have been down by his side, touching him. What grace. What love. And don't miss the irony here. The reason we can thrive in an upside-down world is because we practice an upside-down faith. A faith that runs contrary to every natural inclination we have as human beings. We tend to assume when we think about religion and faith 
that since God is so exalted and holy, we must have to somehow work our way up to Him through our own strength, through our own effort, through our own ability to impress Him and earn His favor. But what we see in the Bible is that God's loving grace flips this upside down. In the Bible, we learn of a God who, though yes, immeasurably exalted, chooses to condescend to us. A God who meets us right where we are when we can't offer anything to him. I mean, what could Daniel do for God when he's face planted with no strength? Nothing. And yet there he is, a God dwelling with the lowly and contrite to revive and restore them by his grace alone. And so notice how he says, a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, but only to his hands and knees. Here's this man of God, Daniel, and all he can do, all he can give him is is like this on his hands and knees. He doesn't even have the strength to stand up. But notice how the angel was okay, God was okay with that. He took Daniel where he was and gently, patiently brought him step by step to the place of renewal. We don't know for how long the angelic being sat with him, kind of co-regulating with him, letting Daniel get his bearings as he sat on his hands and knees. Daniel, who knows what he was thinking, trying to figure out what was going on, maybe feeling shame and kind of humiliation. Isn't this how we should treat one another, though? So often, even in the church, when someone is struggling with something, that maybe we aren't struggling with or is believing something that well, we used to believe, but we see the light now or is struggling with that sin yet again, so easily we can charge in and with lack of grace and compassion and patience expect and demand that someone be what we think they should be right now rather than entering into that, their life where they are with grace and compassion and meeting them where they are and meeting the need that they have in that moment, and then graciously walking with them over time to the place of renewal, just like God has done with us. Then I love this next verse. After some period of time, who knows how long, he's on his hands and knees, and again, he doesn't say, okay, Daniel, how many angels have you seen? How many visions have you received? Come on now, get up, I've got something to tell you. Now, his next words were words of grace, words of assurance. Daniel, more important than the vision, more important than understanding the future, in your weakest moment, at your lowest point, when you have nothing to offer me, I see you, I'm with you, and you are precious to me. I love you right here, right now, as you are. That's what you need to know and hear in this moment. You are a treasure. God is reminding Daniel of the relentless stance that he had toward him. I love you. Full stop. Period. And in the power of this proclamation, if you look at the next verse or the rest of that verse, in the power of this statement, Daniel, you are loved. He says, because of that, you can, you can listen. It's safe to listen to me. It's safe to stand and receive what I've come to give you. And so when he said this, in that strength, Daniel's finally able to stand up, though he's still trembling. 
These words are true for us as well. These words of assurance that we are loved by God. For the follower of Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, a miracle occurs. By his grace, by his spirit, you were, the Bible teaches, spiritually united to Jesus, his son. So as God interacts with you and views you, he loves you in the same way, to the same degree that he loves Jesus. In Ephesians 5.1, for example, we are called dearly loved children of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's how God views you. Not just a child of God, a dearly loved child of God. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, God loves you as well. Maybe here exploring the faith, you've been visiting, you've been thinking about it, but you haven't yet taken that step. He's already demonstrated his love for you in a way that is irrefutable. Look at Romans 5, verse 8. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we, before we had turned to Jesus and trusted him and stopped following our own way, then God showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we could have an opportunity to have our sins forgiven by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so for you, if you're not yet following Jesus, but thinking about it, your next step in experiencing God's love in a personal way, well, think of the, one of the most familiar verses of all. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Your next step is to, exp- to receive the gift of God's love. That he offers you in Jesus. And when you receive that gift, you will discover that you have walked into the room of God's love where he now views you as his treasure. And so we urge you to consider today as the day that you trust in him. Well, despite the angel's proclamation of God's love for him, This experience made him very aware of his own weakness and his unworthiness. Like a child who was caught red-handed stealing the cookie, and mom and dad walk in, and the child can't look in mom and dad's eyes, right? Because they just know, oh. Daniel looks down at the ground unable to say a word. He's speechless, and he can't even look at the angel. And then he says in the next verse, the one who looked like a man once again identifies his need and touched his lips. He can't speak, so what does the angel do? He doesn't berate him. He doesn't shame him. He meets the need. He lovingly touches his lips, and in that way, somehow it opened up his lips so he could then have the strength to speak. And Daniel doesn't try to put on a facade or a mask like we do so well. He just lays it all out there. He says to this angel, I am Filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen, my Lord. And I am very weak. And then he, he, he gets to the point of how unworthy he was feeling. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you? My Lord, my strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. He was having like almost a panic attack, it sounds like. 
Well, how does God respond to this? Notice the gentle progression. Then again, the one who looked like a man touched me again. And as he touches him, he felt his strength returning. And then the man says, don't be afraid, the angel says, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. Despite how unworthy you feel in this moment, whatever your failings, you need not lower your eyes in my presence. You are loved. See, it's in our weaknesses and in our inadequacies that God's grace and love are most beautifully displayed. A love that is unknown to us in our natural condition as human beings. You know, it's no mistake that the angel begins and ends his restoration of Daniel in this passage with an expression of love. He started that way, Daniel, you're precious, and he ends that way. Daniel, don't be afraid because you're loved, you're a treasure, you're precious. Whatever we may fear in this upside-down world, God's love... His perfect love, when understood and believed, will drive that fear away. And look what happened as a result. As he spoke these words to me, these words of assurance, these words of love, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, Please speak to me, my Lord. You've strengthened me. I'm renewed. I'm restored. I'm ready to receive what you have for me so that I can be a vessel for this vision to share with others. In Daniel's weakness, he found renewed strength in God's loving grace. He was able to stand and receive exactly what God had for him. Now, I want to close our time with a passage in the New Testament that speaks to us why it's so critically important that as we try to survive and thrive in this upside-down world, we do so rooted deeply with a conviction and certainty of God's love for us. One author I read recently, I don't remember who it was, said, in one sense, it's like in the, all through the Bible, one of the big things that God's trying to do is convince us deep in our heart that, yes, He loves us. Over and over again in so many different ways. When Romans chapter 8, which is one of the mountain peak passages of the Bible... It's given to us really in the context of believers who are going through great amounts of suffering. And you get to chapter 8, verse 35, and the question is raised, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists all these types of things as examples. I mean, you could add a whole lot more to it. These are just examples. Shall shall tribulation, distress, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, sword, other, we could add to it, our sin, other people's sins, betrayal, loss of job, that devastating phone call, the bad news about my child, the fear about the future. Shall anything separate me from Christ's love? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Jesus who loved us by dying on the cross for us. That phrase, more than conqueror, is one word in the original that literally means we super abundantly conquer. 
to use a sports analogy, I apologize to those who aren't sports fans, but it's like the difference between a basketball team, we'll say the Celtics going to their arch rival, we'll say the Lakers, and squeezing out a double overtime buzzer beater shot, and the Celtics going to the Forum in L.A., is it still called the Forum, the Staples, I don't know what it's called, and scoring the first 40 points and winning the game by 80. Never a contest. A complete domination. That's what this word means. So what he's saying is actually the very things that you think would conquer you in an incredible twist of God's loving grace, you actually are more than conquerors. You, you super dominate in them. You say, well, that sounds high in the sky. How is that the case? It doesn't mean they aren't hard, they don't hurt, they don't create sorrow, pain, and loss. But the reason we're more than conquerors is, as the passage goes on, for I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, I mean, you name it, and it falls into that category. Nothing has the ability to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's saying is the reason we're more than conquerors in those things is because none of those things that we face that are hard can do anything to change what's most important about us. That we belong to God and are loved by Him in Jesus. It may create pain and loss and bring tears and sorrow and financial hardships and physical struggles. And those are in the end temporary, but God's love for us is forever, and none of those things can alter that. And so in the end, we, we, we still are a conqueror because Christ has given us the victory even over our weakest moments. Well, what is the next step for you? Well, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus... Your next step, your first step now is to say yes. Say, God, I believe that you've loved me through Jesus. You died for me and rose again, and I am going to receive that gift and trust in him as my Savior. And if that's you, put that on your Connect card. Where do they put it? In the offering box on the way out. Give it to an usher, they'll get it in the right place, or talk to one of the staff members or myself. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you are here and you are recognizing areas of weakness in your own life, don't feel the need anymore to put on a show and pretend that that weakness isn't a struggle. Confess it to someone, confess it openly to God, and whatever it is, allow God's love for you to renew you in that area of weakness. And then lastly, commit to giving to others in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your church family, the same kind of love that God has given to you. Be willing to enter into the brokenness and hurt and weakness of others, not like a bull in a china closet, but with the humble grace that this warrior angel showed to Daniel meeting them at their place of need, and patiently walking with them. What a beautiful church community that would be to be part of. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your indescribable, immeasurable grace and love. 
We thank you that at our weakest point, where we feel so unworthy and could offer you nothing, right there and then, you delight to meet us and to renew us with your love. We thank you that your love for us doesn't in the end depend on us, but depends on you and how loving you are. And we pray that each one here will have the the courage and the grace to take their next step in experiencing that love in a meaningful, transforming way. In Jesus' name.